Hi there, this is Society Owes Me, a Gen X podcast, the pod where we go A to X through grunge, indie, alt-rock, pop, movies, soundtracks, TV, and general generation Catalano goodness. Um, we always say that a bit wrong, don't we? But anyway, I'm Lily, this is Hannah. Hello. And uh, Hannah does have some fantastic Brit pop goodness for us tonight, if I'm not much mistaken, because we are at the letter D. Take it away. D is for pulp. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is. It's not that I don't know my alphabet. D is for different class. Whoop, whoop, whoop. We have been meaning to do this for ages, so this is going to be good. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm just going to kick straight off with Misshapes, the first song from the album. Um, All right, first of all, tell you a little bit of pulp. I think we've kind of... um, We've touched on them a few times throughout, you know, the past few volumes, haven't we? But it's the first time we've actually covered an album in its entirety. Um, I think we talked about Jarvis quite a lot in the God yep. Like Genius. He's come uh, up several episode. times. Michael Jackson. <coughs> we will. We will come to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Pulp formed in 1978. Would you believe? Oh my God! Well, I can tell you, they are nearly 44 years old. <laughs> Jeez! Wow! Oi! <laughs> that's easy. That's for a band. Happy birthday, it Lily. It yeah. is absurd for a band. You will you will be 44 by the time this airs. Oh, God. You're right. Have a good one. I'm gutted. I'm missing your birthday. I'm gutted, too. I'm gutted to be having it in the first place, and my daughter's giving me the everyday mummy. <laughs> we'll celebrate belatedly. Seven days, mummy. Like, yay! With margaritas. Fresh. Well, I like the sound of that. Fresh from Mexico. It's worth turning 44 for that, definitely. So, they, they formed the year you were born. In Sheffield. Um, so they've had a, a, a few sort of lineup changes, but their best known lineup um, from uh, 1992 to 1997, which includes when this album came out uh, Jarvis Cocker on vocals, guitar, keyboard, Russell Senior on guitar and violin, Candida Doyle on keyboards, Nick Banks on drums and percussion, and Steve Mackey on bass, and Mark Webber on guitar and keyboards. So Miss Shapes. This was the second single that came out after their first single off the album, Common People. It was a double A side with Sorted Fruits and Whiz, and it came out in September 1995 and reached number two on the UK album charts, uh, which is also uh, the number that Common People reached. Um, how do you feel about pop? How do you feel about this album? Yeah, I like them. I mean, I never owned an album of theirs, but I always enjoyed, you know, they, you'd watch like the chart show or Top of the Pops or radio, you know, when you're in the car with your parents who wouldn't let you play your music because they thought it was crap, because it was grunge and old rock or whatever. Um, but I never, I know this sounds like a really backwards way to look at it, but I never hated them. Yeah. Uh, they seem really fun, tongue in cheek, um, you know, good tunes. I like it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with, with Pulp. You know, with Blur and Oasis, it's tribal, isn't it? You know, most people would take side. Uh, pulp, Pulp's for every everyone. Yeah, for, it's every man. Yeah. For and all woman. the common people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, and all, for all the misfits as well, so that's what, what this song is about. It's a call to arms for misfits to uh, unite and take over. And, you know, obviously, I was a misfit. You think that, Everyone though. thinks you're a misfit. They're a misfit. But I will say that, you know, for a band like Pulp from the North, they did make every Southerner feel a bit guilty just for being born sort of south of Watford. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But also, like, you know, they're, they're northern, working class, but also went to art school in London. Um, yeah, but that's fine because they've already got the... You know, like, I knew people at university who made up sort of northern family backgrounds and were like, well, actually, um, I was actually uh, brought up in a council flat, so uh, in your face, I'm not at all, even though I am literally from Watford, I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the north side of Watford, so actually yeah. I'm northern, you know. People were creating, and I feel like Pop had a lot to do with that. Definitely, definitely, 100% agree. But I think, you know, when you had Blur that were like, you know, sort of pretending to be lads and were middle school, art school, you know, art school students, Pulp kind of had everything, didn't they? Like, they were genuine in everything that they did. Um, Yeah, just, oh. Yeah, they they were over the pretentiousness of it, it felt like, even though as art students, that's tough. <laughs> and it was like, there were two... You know, when, when you had the whole Blur Oasis war thing in North-South, um, you know, fisticuffs over North and South and working class versus middle class, like, Pulp were just too busy, you know, r- writing about that stuff to get involved in the in the debate. Well, they it were above it all. stupid. It's like school, you know? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, it's I agree me. with you. Yeah, it's he's... He's, uh, he's, he just appeals to everyone. He has a universal appeal. Good old Jarvis. Apart from Michael Jackson. Don't think he was a fan. <laughs> well. Um, but, yeah. Um, so, the, the, the lyrics of Miss Shapes were uh, inspired by Jarvis's experience of going out in Sheffield. Um, I've got quite a few Jarvis quotes that I've written down just because he just says some brilliant things. He's such a storyteller. Um, but what he said about the song was that it was quite dangerous to go into the centre of town on a weekend night as everyone socialised there and you get these packs of blokes all dressed the same in white short sleeve shirts, black trousers and loafers and they'd call you a queer or want to smack you because they didn't like your jacket. The thing is, those people hunt in packs whereas the misfits or misshapes because of the fact that they're more individualistic individualistic, are easier targets. So the idea of misshapes is the fancy that the misfits would form some kind of an alliance or army and take over. And I think Pulp in their way did do that. They transcended all of that Yeah, nonsense. Um, and uh, there, I, I, obviously I had uh, this album and a lot of the singles that accompanied it, but they're all in storage at the moment, so I couldn't bring them to show you. But um, the uh, the sleeve notes um, for the for for this single had a, a cryptic message. We it said we shall fight them in the beaches, but spelt B double E C H E S, and the stag and the king's head. If it comes to that, you know the score. <laughs> Ten blokes with tashes and short sleeved white shirts telling you that you're the weirdo. Fear not, brothers and sisters, we shall prevail. Live on. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, it 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 blew up, and Pop did get massively popular with this album. It is their most successful album. Um, but you know, with that came um popularity amongst um. Uh, the townies, um, I guess, uh, and Jarvis was was quite uncomfortable about that. Yeah, it creates a bit of a weird situation now. <laughs> like, yeah, hang on a minute. 
no, 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 I don't want you to be my fans. It's very nirvana isn't it? Exactly. It's like Nirvana with the jocks. It's like um, the Manics. I'm not sure that the Manics have ever articulated it, but what I don't like about some Manics fans is the ones that came on board, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, God, you yeah, purist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you muse over all of that. Um, how, how you never ended up working for an Emmy, I won't ever understand. It's very odd. I did for a bit. I was a student brand manager for an Emmy and Melody Maker. Well, for heaven's sakes. Why didn't you go professional <laughs> with this? Too late now. So it's what we do. It's why we're doing this now, isn't it? Um, misshaped chocolates. Did you ever get those? No. I'm sorry. I'm looking at it like... Is this a hidden track? Or a, no, is it not? Thing? Oh, so the misshaped... So, well, Jarvis said that the title came from his mum buying misshaped chocolates. Um, my dad used to buy them too. They were like Cadbury's... They came in big packets and they were basically like the the um, the detritus from the chocolate factory, the stuff that didn't make the cut. Right. Um, and so a lot of time it was... Do you remember... I don't think they make them anymore. Do you remember the Cadbury's like fuse bars? They were a bit like sort of a fruit and nut bar. They had raisins and... No, nuts and a lot like of those and um not quality street roses cabbage roses um yeah so jarvis described them as the kind of elephant man of the sweet world and that's exactly what they were it was like the broken biscuits did you never get the packets of broken biscuits no where were you buying this stuff i don't my dad bought them maybe from the cash and carry Ooh, but he'd come back know? with like massive bags of them because they were way way cheaper than all the other chocolates now you're saying it though i think sometimes iceland do something like that Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think they do the biscuits, actually. Biscuits, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know why. I can't... I, I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> Too posh and shaped chocolates, were you? Well, I was literally on the coast, darling, so you can't get much more south than that, can you? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we were too busy digging through our Fortnum and Mason um, <laughs> basket. <laughs> with, made of real wicker with, with leather little straps on it, darling. No. Okay, right. I'm going to move on to pencil skirt whilst I scan my notes and see if there's anything else that I've neglected to mention about misshapes. God, a pencil skirt was my, like, uniform when I went out. Oh, right, not satin. No, no, no. It was like my going out skirt. It was black satin. I was going for a, a 50s wiggle look. And did you wear them with the with the kinky little tights with the stripe on the back? Yeah, I had some. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, wow, you were sophisticated. I, well, no, I don't think that was what ended up happening. But yeah, definitely, like at university, that would be my little outfit. Also, oh, wow. I cut off all my hair, so I had to then react by wearing really, really girly clothes because I didn't realise that would happen. So I had long curly hair, and I decided I needed a complete change. So I cut it off like really short crop. Um, which I have to say did not look good. But then I had to like reevaluate all of my masculine kind of looking wardrobe because I kind of like guys' clothes really. Um, so I ended up with really frou frou frilly girly stuff. Oh, I need to see some pictures weird. of this. But, but hopefully there's not too much of it, but yeah, it was a weird time, what can I say? <laughs> I've never owned a pencil skirt. Oh, you haven't lived. <laughs> I'm sure Jarvis would have approved of your pencil skirt then. Mine was from Morgan. Oh, do you remember Morgan? Yeah, I didn't know your dad was a Morgan girl. Kukai. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they now? I don't know. No, not religiously. Um, my parents used to think that I bought stuff from charity shops so that I would um, get them to give me money. 
because they'd be ashamed to walk down the street with me. Uh, but that wasn't it at all, but I didn't want to argue with them, obviously. You do love your charity shop shopping. I still do, yeah. But no, I mean, I used to go around the Chazers, like, when I was like 10. I mean, my friends would be like, I'm, you're, I'm not going in there with you, you're so embarrassing. Oh, I used to buy my friend Wendy was like, so yeah, my fr Anna and Gemma and I loved uh, doing the charity shops on Marla High Street, but Wendy would stand outside. Uh, or if, if we did staring, <laughs> she'd, she'd hold her nose. Yeah, I literally sometimes in charity shops and like older, it's usually older women as well, we go in and they go, oh, just, it just smells so disgusting. They're really loud and like rude and obnoxious about it. And then they'll go around and go, see, there's nothing here. I don't even know why we bother coming in. It's like, you know what, you fuck off. So rude. These people work here. What's wrong with you? I love a charity. I've been picking up some really good 90s bargains lately, actually. I've got, I've got uh, you know, uh, sheepskin lined denim moto jacket from the Oxfam on uh, on George Street the other day. Well happy with that. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? No, because um, I don't have any uh, non-blue jeans <laughs> oh. and I don't want to double denim it. You don't want to Marlboro man it up. No, exactly. I said that to a woman in a charity shop literally this week and she was like, why not? I think it would look good. And then we had an awkward pause where I was like, okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Yeah, I need to get myself some more trousers. Um, right, well, that was pencil skirt. I think we've really covered pencil skirt. I think we really <laughs> took care of all oh, the 90s. Oh, my fashion. word! This isn't what I thought it was going to be. That was common people, but not not the common people. This is the common people. <laughs> right, okay. So oh, everybody knows that one, too. Everybody knows this one. It's obviously the lead single off the album. This is where it really blew up. Uh, although it only got to the number two spot, can you imagine what pipped them to the number one spot? Something hideous that you love, was it? <coughs> Am I close? Something hideous, yeah. <laughs> but you don't love it. It's not Madonna. No. Or Michael Jackson. No. Oh God, was it like Spice Girls or something? No. Uh, I can't think of it. Pop popular with the, with the older lady. Oh, Julio, was it? Oh, no, sure, not, not as exotic as Julio. That Jane woman from the cruise. So it was a duo. Oh, not that Robson and Green yes! guy. Oh, <laughs> Robson and Jerome's Unchained Melody. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, God. that gives me shivers just thinking about it. It was played to death, wasn't it? It really was. Oh, my God, yes. So, because do you remember those guys? Um, it was, um, wasn't it like Brendan Benson? No, I always get them wrong. Bernard Butler. Bernard Butler, thank you. Butler and... Uh, McCalmott and Butler. Yes, McCalmott and Butler. And uh, someone gave me that thinking it was... And, and I was Robson like... and Jerome. Well, I was like, oh, thanks, <laughs> thinking, brilliant. why did you buy me this? And then they were like, oh, shit, I got the wrong one, didn't I? No, I meant to get the, you know, those guys from the army show. And I was like, what? Who, who wanted to give that to you? I think it might have been. I don't like to say. Well, you were much better off with... Well, it's very awkward. It was a family member, and I was like, oh, my God. As a teenager, well, I know I was it like, wasn't your dad, because he's got taste. I need to just go into my bedroom and just stay here for a really long time. <laughs> Deal with the betrayal. <laughs> Hello, have we met? So Brilliant. Yeah, at least, at least I can say yes. I did have a McCalmont and Butler CD. Well, Not that yes. I wanted it, it but yes? it's better than uh, the Robson and Jerome oh, CD. Oh, right. McCalmont and Butler. Good. No, yeah. I mean it, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't what I liked or what I wanted or anything. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Better than what you could have got. Exactly. 
Um, so yeah, they only made it to number two, and Jarvis said about um, the day that they found out, uh, he said the Sunday they announced the charts, it was presented live in Birmingham, and all the chart acts had to mime to their songs. We didn't know what position we were, so we waited in this back room for them to call us. So I went on, it got 6pm and everyone was getting shaky. I went to the toilet to put my contact lenses in, but I hadn't rinsed them properly, so my eye went bright red. We had to go on and I was still in quite extreme physical pain and my eye was streaming, so people obviously thought I was crying because <laughs> we were number two. And of course by that time my makeup was running and looked like non-set cement. It had been raining, so there were big puddles in front of the stage, and just as common people reached its climactic chorus, I jumped off the monitor, quite spectacularly as you do, landed in a puddle, slipped and fell flat on my ass. So I'm left thinking, fuck me, this is meant to be your ultimate triumph, <laughs> and you're flat on your back in a puddle, your eye killing you, face falling off on a wet Sunday afternoon in Birmingham. Not quite what I've been dreaming of in 20 years. <laughs> See, and it would have been like 20 years, because, I mean, as I've said, they formed in 1978. This was... This was their fifth studio album, I think. You know, they'd been going for a long time. And it wasn't like, you know, they if you were a passing fan, you'd just be like, oh, they've come out of nowhere. They were slogging away. It's surprising they were that good, you know. If you were, like, doing your music for 20 years, I mean, their styles must have changed quite a lot in that time as well. I'd really be interested to hear, like, super early pulp. Not sure that it was that different really so i got into them uh, the previous album his and hers which uh, you'll recognize there were a lot of corkers on that so they were already like on the rise then um but yeah no they've got a pretty solid stable sound in fact um the teenage jarvis had a, a pulp master plan so apparently he wrote it um in an exercise book uh, and he declared that the group shall work its way into the public eye by producing fairly conventional yet slightly offbeat pop songs. After gaining a well-known and commercially successful status, the group can then begin to subvert and restructure both the business, the music business, and music itself. <laughs> Some foresight, eh? Well, he got <laughs> half of it right. <laughs> I'm not sure he can claim, you know, the victory on the second half there for Pulp. A lot of things were going on, Job, and uh, I'm not sure you're at the helm of pretty much any of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, with all respect, you know, I do love Jarvis, I think it's great. How can you not? Unless you're Jacko. So, uh, Rolling Stone in 2015 um, had a reader's poll that voted it the greatest Britpop song. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, it's uh, you know, a kind of pretty sardonic critique of, of the gentrification and um, middle class people wanting to be like common people. True, um, all true. It was happening yeah. everywhere. My university was unreal for it. Then again, it was in the north. And and most of us were southerners. Yeah, Which same. is fairly ridiculous. Actually, no, there were a lot of... I went to Liverpool University and actually Liverpool had a pretty high proportion of home students. So well, I'm sure, I'm sure my university did, but not on our course. Our history was almost completely exclusively southern students. <laughs> oh. Not all. There was a couple of uh, of northerners there um, who were lovely. I mean, there were people from everywhere, but what I'm saying is there were a hell of a lot of southerners. It was in Manchester, wasn't it? Um, I've still got stuff to say about common people, so I'm going to just let it play through uh, live Glastonbury version. This is the last song. We can't play any more after this. This okay. is Carmen So, um... 
Yeah, they played Glastonbury. They headlined Glastonbury after the Stone Roses pulled out. I think Ian Brown, he had some accident or something. I think we talked about this in uh, in the Godlike Genius episode again. Um, but yeah, it was I'm sure he just fell off a ladder while he was, uh, I don't know, doing his gusses. <laughs> we'll get onto that again in a bit as well. Uh, but yeah, so the inspiration for Common People um, was a woman that Jarvis met, uh, a Greek um, art student that he met whilst he was at Central St Martin's College of Art and Design in London. So he did film studies there uh, for a bit in 1998 whilst he was taking a break from pulp. Um, and he told the NME that I'd met the girl from the song many years before when I was at St Martin's College. I'd met her on a sculpture course, but at St Martin's you had a thing called Crossover Fortnight where you had to do another discipline for a couple of weeks. I was studying film and she might have been doing painting, but we both decided to do sculpture for two weeks. I don't know her name. It would have been around 1988, so it was already ancient history when I wrote about her. And I think BBC Three did a documentary and they tried to track her down, um, but couldn't. However, um, a few years ago, just uh, in 2015, a Greek paper called the Athens Voice suggested that she is um, Dane Stratu, the wife of Yanis Vakoufakis, uh, the former Greek finance minister, because she was studying there at around the same time. Um, she's the eldest daughter of a, a wealthy businessman. Um, and then another Greek newspaper, Tarnia, probably pronounced that incorrectly, um, contacted her, uh, and she said that I think the only person who knows for whom the song was written is Jarvis himself. Um, but oh, then, she called him Jarvis, so she knows him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, fair comment, like, you know, true. Uh, but the Evening Standard, um, our Evening Standard, reported an email exchange with um, Barry Fakis, the ex-Greek finance minister, um, who did, um, and that email exchange did kind of suggest that there was he confirmed it truth it. in the in the rumour. But, to throw a little bit of a spanner in the works, um, another Greek Cypriot student, Katerina Karna, who was studying at St Martin's during the same kind of time period, claimed in 2012 that it was about her. But Jarvis hasn't commented either way, so... Who knows, apart from Jarvis himself? You would have known about it, I feel like. Um, so if you didn't come forward at the time, that's because you don't want to come forward. So it sounds like the finance minister's wife is the... Um, plus, you know... Finance Minister. So she can't really Sound come right. out and say, yeah. oh yeah, it was me who shagged Jarvis uh, with a tin of beans next to the bed. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so he came up with the, Jarvis came up with a tune on a Casio, uh, Casio tone keyboard that he bought in Notting Hill um, from the Music and Video Exchange. Um, do you, did you have a music video exchange or MVC in your No, hometown? not in our town, no. We had one in Maidenhead and uh, remember the little plastic card. In fact, I found it in my wallet only about a couple of years ago. Well out of date now because well, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, yeah, that was my sort of, you know, third go-to place after Capital Records on Marla High Street and our price. There might have been one in Eastbourne. Well, I didn't go to Eastbourne. Yeah, it was like a less fancy HMV. Yeah, so it rings a bell, yeah. Although I'm sure the Notting Hill one was pretty fancy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so yeah, he so Jarvis thought the melody seemed kind of catchy, but he didn't think too much about it, and uh, the band didn't really think much of it when they when he um, played it at rehearsals. Um, Steve Mackey said that it reminded him of Emerson, Lake and Palmer's fanfare for the common man, um, and it was only Canada that spotted the potential. She said that she thought it was great straight away, um, and could just tell that it was going to be a really 
powerful songs when the rest of the band kind of, you know, uh, realised that they'd written something that could be could be quite big. They wanted to have a they wanted to find a producer that could make it sound really big sounding. So they got Chris Thomas on board, who has worked with loads of massive people, you know, the Beatles, Pink Floyd, um, Roxy Music, Badfinger, Elton John, Pete Townsend, Sex Pistols. Um, and they rented a, a fancy rehearsal space at the townhouse in London. I was um, listening to an interview with Jarvis the other day, he said that it was the most you know, expensive uh, studio that they'd ever recorded in. So they spent two weeks there and used all 48 tracks of the studio and filled them all with all sorts of keyboards and even a stylophone to create that anthemic sound. Um, and I love the way it builds, you know, it starts off slow and by the end it's, I don't know, like double, yeah, triple speed yeah, yeah, yeah. or something, it's just a bit nuts. Um, they first performed it in Reading, Reading 94, and Jarvis says that he wrote the lyrics the night before and struggled to remember them <laughs> when he went on. And then it was a year later, pretty much exactly, that they played this at Glastonbury, standing in for the Stone Roses. Um, and the video, do you remember the video for it? It had um, it had Sadie Frost in it. Oh, did it? And she's pushing him round in a, she's pushing Jarvis round in a shopping oh, trolley. Yes, I do remember that. Which yeah, reminds me a bit of the, we were talking about Radiohead the other day, and I can't remember the video that they had, but they're also being pushed round in a shopping trolley. And Supergrass were in a, in yes. a trolley for all right as yeah, well, yeah, weren't yeah. they? The thing about trolleys in the 90s. It's because it's, uh, you know, so down to earth and um, common people y. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that in the way, can you? Because they beep at you, they're all alarmed. You try no, and take don't. a trolley out of Tesco's car park. I see them in the park you. all the time. All the time. Yeah. And I get right. angry as middle-aged women do <laughs> these days. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I hate myself. I see kids picking daffodils and before I can help it, I'm like, oi! Yeah, no, that is bad though. Stop it! And they look at me like, ah, you're talking it to me? But they stop, right? They do, but then I worry that I have to walk by them again and they're going to stab me. Not <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, anyway, Jarvis himself directed the, uh, the the video or pr produced the video because, of course, as we know, he's got a degree in filmmaking from St Martin's College. Um, and uh, Keely Hawes is also oh, in like the her. video, but like way before she was famous. So she's um, yeah dancing next to Zany Brust, and Jarvis is dancing in the video as well. And it was an improvised dance routine that he made up on the day of the shooting. And the whole the whole video is like a a, a homage to um, or an homage to the Ella New Rigby bit in Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Sorry if I scared you from last week. <laughs> Sorry, homage, homage. <laughs> I need to do it in all languages. Cover all my bases. How <laughs> do you say it in Greek? <laughs> well, us down southerners call it an homage. Homage. <laughs> homage. It's an homage. homage. <laughs> They're both right. They're both right. Uh, I think. Oh, right. No, here we go. There are some covers. She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. <laughs> oh, I know who this is. Shit. I was gonna ask you. Do you want to know? I can see him, and I can't think of his name. There are actually two people so at the moment. Who is it now? You're listening to William Shatner. Yes, yes, of course it's William Shatner. And now this is Joe Jackson. So, this came out in 2004. 
Do you want to guess who produced it? Like you. Oh, I love Joe Jackson though. Well, what else could I do? I said, Stepping out is <laughs> seriously one of the. This anyway. was produced by Ben Folds. Hey! Well, it's a love fest, for fuck's sake. Quite. So he produced it for Shatner's album, Has Been. So, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, it's hilarious, it's like though. I do love Jenner. He's very funny. But, you, but you've graduated, you've got Shatner's voice being replaced with Joe Jackson's, and then he, like, alternates them, and then it ends up being a duet. And then, let's see, how long is it? Sweet. I'm going to fast forward it a little bit. Yeah, it gets really weird. But then towards the end, you've got this chorus of young voices singing Sing Along with the Common People. It's great. It's just got Ben Folds all over it, hasn't it? I love it. Uh, and so did Jarvis. He said, I was very flattered by that because I was a massive Star Trek fan. And as a kid, uh, sorry, as a kid, so you know, Captain Kirk is singing my song. So that was amazing. Yeah, but also Joe Jackson. Come on, Jarvis. Yeah. Uh, and then in that I love this fact, in 2007, there was a ballet called Common People that was set to the songs from Has Been, which is the album that, you know, this was on. Um, so a ballet created by Margot Sappington, and it was performed by the Milwaukee Ballet. I've not seen it, but I would absolutely love to. And then also that same year, in 2007, do you remember, um, I can't play it to you unless I fiddle around with YouTube, but Rory Bremner did a version of it as David Cameron. <laughs> no, I don't. It, it was on um, at Bremner Bird and Fortune. My dad used to love that show. Yes, I remember. It, yeah, I don't think I watched it really. I think my dad probably liked it too. So uh, yeah, he's, he's you know dressed up as David Cameron and obviously changes all the all the lyrics. Oh, this is the this is the chorus. But I love it, and you've got the same build, and it just gets crazy. So is this the third version of Common People we're having? The third? Yeah. Didn't we listen to the third version? Yeah. There's also a My Chemical Romance version <laughs> if you want to listen to it, but I might spare you that one. Hey folks, this is your two and a half hour long. It was their episode. biggest, it was their biggest <laughs> song, so. In fact, actually, all right, this is not Common People. I will move on to the next song after this, but I couldn't miss this one out. This isn't Common People. It's not Common People, no. So this came out in 1988 and it's called Los Amantes. And it's by a Spanish band called Meccano or Meccano. I was going to My mum used, used to have a tape of this band or pop group in her car. In fact, it might have got nicked along with all those Julio Iglesias. I think I know who nicked it, Hannah. I think it was Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> but how weird, right? But they've never been accused of plagiarism. How? I mean, seriously, where was I know. Jarvis circa I know. 1987? Yeah, I think well, he well, might have been around the But um, He was robbing cars. Mind blown? Yeah, that's pretty Isn't outrageous. That, yeah. Uh, there might be a really big suit about this time uh, <laughs> after we put this. <laughs> Just kidding, yeah, of course. Move over, Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's pretty awful. I think they did a much better job. Okay, right. I spy. I always feel sorry for Ed Sheeran, except that he's got like, he's just got so much money, it probably won't even make that much difference yeah, to him. Dropping it's the just ocean. the, you know, the shame factor though is like, and that is like a huge yeah. song of his. I, it's, it's a few songs, isn't it? Oh, is it? I, I thought I this think was just about Shape of You. Oh, maybe it's just about, but there have been a I few instances where, yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day where there were, yeah, there were quite a few examples. I, I, 
can't name any of his songs. There might be a link, not there that Ed Sheeran has anything to do with this, although, you know, the plagiarism thing is a hot topic right now, but didn't I see that the co-writer was Johnny McDade? And isn't he Courtney Cox's boyfriend? For what, sorry? For Ed Shape of, Shape of You? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I'm lying about that. So, I'm connection you to are. Counter Crows. Very good. Very good. Um... Good, because I didn't have a Counting Crows No, I sort of have a Counting Crows <laughs> connection, actually. I well, think. That, that was only no, a sort of connection. very tenuous. It's really tenuous. more about, you know... I'll take that one, that's great. <laughs> tenuous, very tenuous. So, I spy... Um, I don't have a lot to say about this, other than... I just think it's great. I love Whispery Jarvis. The music does remind me of something 80s. Yes! It's a sin, Pet Shop Boys. Yes! Fucking hell, is he just... Yeah, I don't know, and I haven't read anything about that, but I wrote it down in my notes because I was listening to this thinking, what the hell does it remind me of? And it took ages for it to come to me. But it's, it's a scene, yeah. this bit. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Uh, and and no, one, no one But as far as I know, wow. no, I mean, I didn't research this very People well, must really like him, <laughs> you know? Maybe if you're a really nice bloke, people just let it go. Yeah, they can have it. Ed Sheeran must be secretly a bastard then. <laughs> there's also, I don't know if, I, I, I don't know if we missed it already, but there's a lyric where he talks about the haves and haven'ts. And listening to that earlier, I was just thinking about Eddie Vedder's The, the Haves. And it's very similar subject matter, but the presentation is just so different. <laughs> and it just oh, that bit was a rip-off of It's a Sims. It really, <gasps> is, it really is. You just Yikes. expect it to go. I never had this album, so the ones that weren't released, I don't, I don't really know. Shocking. Listen to it. Listen to it. Um, but yeah, so this this song, it's about, um, well, not Jarvis, but you know, Jarvis as the as the narrator. Um, it's so, it's brutal. It's it's such a savage song, but he's basically fantasizing about causing chaos in like you know some posh London suburb. Um, and it's really, it's just like really vindictive. I, don't, I didn't realise he was this obsessed with it, to be honest with you. I almost what? felt it was a bit sort of light-hearted. What, the class thing? Yeah, or like, you know, something to hang your hat on. I didn't realise how, how... See, so I'm not sure he that he particularly was. I've also read that he kind of, he did the, the political bits more to um, sort of appeal to some of the other members of the band. I think Russell Senior in particular that were much more sort of politically motivated. Um, Jarvis just kind of liked, you know, telling stories and um, I suppose his other favourite subject is, is sex. There's a lot of that in the album as well, but a lot of it's just about, you know, the awkwardness of, of it all. And, you know, I guess it comes down to him again, like, you know, with misshapes, like not fitting in. So again, this is about someone who's an outsider, but he's basically a like being a bit of a peeping tom, I guess. Um, but he's kind of plotting his revenge. So that line there, you know, he says, my favorite parts are car parts, grass is something you smoke, birds are something you shag, take your year in Provence and shove it up your ass. And he just says it in venom and it's, it's brilliant. He's talking about you, you know that, right? <laughs> I've never been to Provence. How dare you? I've never been to Provence. <laughs> Biarritz is the furthest south I've been. Uh, is it just the Champagne region you're going to? <laughs> Shut up, Miss. I've never eaten misshapes. 
Well, sorry, Miss Home Counties. <laughs> I was watching him um, uh, do this on, uh, on Jules Holland uh, last night. Well, I mean, it was in November 95, but we played it last night and there's, you know, they play it with a full orchestra. It's, it's, it's brilliant. All right, Hannah, let's just test how posh you are. What's the poshest uh, thing you've ever put in your kid's lunchbox? Oh my god! <laughs> you definitely win this one, Mr. No. Squid Carpaccio! <laughs> was it in prawns it on a bed of ice? It was in prawns on a bed of ice. That you just made day, that same day <laughs> that you told me that you gave your child <laughs> squid or octopus carpaccio, whatever it was, <laughs> I was embarrassed because I had given my son leftover cocktail sausages from like his sister's birthday party with a little tub of um of McDonald's ketchup <laughs> that hadn't been eaten in a happy meal that had got them in a weekend. <laughs> so in your face <laughs> Yeah, but I know you put posh stuff in there, don't don't lie. Like don't what? Lie. <laughs> oh, don't act like it's always a cheese bap and some weak squash. <laughs> We're not allowed squash. Oh god. You ask him. You ask him. <laughs> Prawns on a bed of ice. Come on. <laughs> they sell the octopus carpaccio in Lidl. <laughs> they do. No way. Yes. Oh my god. Way. Hilarious. Way. Although I did the other day, uh, <laughs> specifically like deliberately buy mini pots of hummus, which I did give him, which he actually liked. <laughs> and then... I can't believe you picked this fight. <laughs> well, I was sure that there was something really funny that you put in your kid's lunch, but now I guess I can't remember what it is. Damn it, yeah, it'll come to me. It will come to me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I would, I'm looking forward to knowing. Oh, dear. Octopus Carpaccio. He likes it. I don't like it. He's the only one in our family who likes it. How do we find that out? I don't want to tell you. Right, posh bird. Um, Disco 2000, third single off the album, came out in November 1995, reached number seven in the UK chart. Um, I'm just talking about UK charts because they didn't really get anywhere in the States for a long time. I'm finding it hard to concentrate. I'm desperately trying to remember what it was you put in your kid's lunchbox. <laughs> I would love to know. Uh, I will remember. Damn it. Um, I thought you were going to confess to it. Because I couldn't remember. Honestly, I'm trying to think. Pasta bake we had today. Pasta bake and a fruit and a packet of hula hoops. Not even, not even posh hula hoops. Like Aldi rip-off hula hoops. Sure, stop trying to dumb it down. <laughs> it's all right. My octopus carpaccio is from Lidl. It's not that posh. Veggie straws from the gluten-free aisle. Tesco. McDonald's ketchup though, that is absolutely hilarious. Honestly, I will, this is 100% honest, I wouldn't do it because I'd be scared that the school would call social services. <laughs> but, but I guess that's only if it also came with a little hamburger from McDonald's all wrapped up. Cocktail sausages are quite another thing, so I'm sure they let that slide for that reason. Oh, but wait, cocktail sausages. Back off, back off, safeguarder. 
It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> also, he has a proof. I will say this for Hannah. She brings fruit, fresh fruit, to school for her kids, and they eat it. It's it's amazing. Nobody else does this. <laughs> I very rarely see a mother with a with a fresh fruit snack and have the children like begging for more. Oh my gosh, you're such a liar. So it's true. Some cake. Occasionally, but only because you make posh cakes. Misfit, misfit chocolate, cake. misshaped chocolates. That's what we're gonna bring in next time. <laughs> gonna learn ya. <laughs> right, where was I? Um, okay, Disco 2000. So, Jarvis said that the only bit about this song that wasn't true was the wood chip wallpaper, which brings me to my very, very tenuous link with uh, with Adam Duritz, Um if I can find it. Um, can't find it. Oh, is this is this about what happened yesterday? What is this a personal link? No. Oh, yeah, with BFFs now. Um, no, um, it was. You remember Jurits was saying stuff about how um, you know, he likes to put a lot of detail in songs and, you know, talking about the, I don't know, the print on the wallpaper or whatever it was. And Jarvis, it occurred to me, does, does the same thing, but in a very different way. So, you know, he, he will talk about the broken handle in the third drawer down on the dressing table and feeling called love and the wood chip on the wall in this song. Um, and his stories are like very specific, you know, they're about events in his life. Um, but he does that same thing that Adam does as well with the, you know, it's a specific thing, but it can reflect, you know, um, you know, that Maria can be anyone, Anna can be anyone kind of thing. But and Jarvis's stories reflect, you know, the wider society. Um, but I've forgotten what my point was with this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe that was it, that it's like, it's not about him. The similar like styles. With, yeah. With like an autobiographical, but can also project onto a kind of a... Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Third party, yeah, sort of. Yeah. yeah device. Like, yeah. Which is what we were trying to think of. The, the term or the, the, the phrase. The device. Yeah, there's an actual literary term for that, I think. And I just, I, well, apparently it's been a week and I still haven't <laughs> found out what it is. So, um, that was just going 2000, but I, it's, it's, he talked, you might remember the bit, he talks about Deborah. So Deborah, yes. Deborah. Um, it never suited you. Exactly. So he said there was a girl called Deborah. Um, she was a real, she was a real person. You know, the, the bit about how she was born in the same hospital as him is true he elaborated it and you know, he embellished it a little bit so it wasn't within the hour he said it was more like three hours but you can't fit three hours into the song without having to really rush it but he'd fancied her for ages and then she started to become a woman and got boobs and all the boys fancied her and you know they were friends but she kind of you know she wasn't interested in him deborah was deborah bone and she moved from sheffield to letchworth um age 10 and then you know grew up and everything and became a mental health professional and she did marry and she did have kids um and so years later after the song came out she said that um her claim to fame is growing up and sleeping with jarvis cocker well someone had to do it and it was all perfectly innocent i've been told um and i like to believe that i am the deborah in the number one hit disco 2000 but we never did get up get to meet up by the fountain down the road and the fountain 
was the Goodwin Fountain, which uh, used to be on Fargate in the in the uh, centre of, of Sheffield. But ironically, it was demolished before the year 2000. Um, so they never got to meet there. And also, they very sadly did not get to meet because she was diagnosed with bone marrow <gasps> cancer in 2013, in January 2013, and passed away in December 2014. Um, she was awarded an MBE in the 2015 New Year's Honours list for develop, developing the Brain Box device, um, which was a thing that helped helps um, young people cope with stress and anxiety, apparently. Um, and Jarvis uh, reportedly sung Disco 2000 at her 50th birthday party, which is very sweet. Um... So that was Disco 2000. Oh, interestingly, because of its subject matter, they so there's a thing apparently called a synchronization license. Um, you know, for when you like play it on telly and adverts and stuff. Um, they removed the synchronization license from the song so that it couldn't be used throughout 1999 and 2000 because you can imagine how overplayed it would Indeed, have been yeah. in the lead up to uh, Y2K. Uh, right, next up is Live Bed Show. But she doesn't want to stay in bed. Which I have no notes about whatsoever. I don't think I've ever heard it. I'll let you listen to it a bit then. It's we could talk about the delicious easy. cake that you brought me for my birthday. Go for it. Which is a beautiful stunner. It's um, a rhubarb and custard cake. It's so good and it's absolutely gorgeous as well. Beautiful red icing and uh, a little Pearl Jam 10 high five on the front of it. So it's it's perfect. Every year Hannah makes me a most glorious Pearl Jam cake. And, um, they have all been Pearl Jam. They are fabulous. Yeah, last year was kind of pod themed. There probably was a Pearl Jam element, wasn't there? Actually, I think Animal was on it, wasn't it? I would. I would make Versus you a birthday cake for your birthday, but it would be more of a punishment, I feel like, than a gift. But thank you, it's beautiful. I'll look it. forward to my uh, squid car patch <laughs> instead. Fine, you shall have it. <laughs> I don't like squid. On a tuck biscuit. <laughs> With a little well, ketchup right. on the it's side, octopus. please. It's <laughs> octopus. God. Uh, I, I bet your kids don't even like dramatic. ketchup, do they? One of them does. Too posh ketchup. Not the Carpaccio one though. <laughs> he only likes mayonnaise. <laughs> he does like some weird stuff. He doesn't like normal stuff, which is weird. And then he likes really unusual stuff. Like, like what one else? year on holiday, he ate an entire octopus tentacle. <laughs> With the suckers on it. It didn't look like anything else. It looked like, I have a picture. A big fat tentacle on the top of mashed potato. Do you and know he what? ate it all. <laughs> well, I can picture. Uh, I'm just imagining him being like, <laughs> it's like that scene from Old Boy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, we were sitting there saying, "Do you like it then?" Like trying not to gag, and he was like, "Yeah, it's delicious." <laughs> he really did eat the whole thing. And you haven't given him the same in your in his lunchbox yet. Well, I haven't caught any octopus, any octopus lately, but I'll get on it. Uh, it's not octopus season, probably. <laughs> right, oh, I've lost my playlist. Okay, so, live bed show. Um, it reminds me of the song by that band that used to be one of my favourites that I can't bring myself to talk about anymore. 
They've got a uh, song called Sleazy Bed Track. And how well that fits the situation. Mm. Uh, okay, right, moving on. Oh God, no. What's happened to my Please playlist? <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a good thing. Can be a bad thing. Okay, oh, something changed. Okay, this is a this is a cracking song. <laughs> it's that podcast with Hannah played the same, same song, song eight five times. <laughs> so this was their fourth and final single off the album. It's like um, you're trying to make people hate the song by playing it so many times. They're like, okay, never play that. It's because I've had loads of versions on it, but I've done something <laughs> on my Spotify thing where now I queued up um, the My Chemical Romance version of Common People, and now it just keeps playing it, and I can't unqueue it. I need a lesson in how to use Spotify. Spotify for dummies. Uh, but anyway, this um, was written much earlier than um, Different Class, but they, you know, they brought it out of the vault for the Different Class sessions, and it, it got to number ten in the UK. And it's played at weddings a lot um, because it's actually a very sweet song, and the lyrics are all about, you know, how life events happen really randomly like that. You know, life could have been very different, but then. Um, and apparently his sister sang an early version of it with different words and it never got used. Um, they kind of forgot about it, but yeah, dug it up. And um, yeah, he said uh, he likes that it's about the randomness of things. Uh, and he says that he feels like it's the main thing missing from his life. The worst thing about having a schedule and a timetable is that there's less chance for unexpected things to happen. Uh, there were two versions of the single that were put out. There was a boy version that had the uh, had a picture of a crutch with unzipped jeans on it, and a girl version that had a cleavage in a red block bra. So they had different sleeves for the same track listing. And I'm pretty sure I had the boy version and contemplated buying both versions until I realised that the B sides were all the same. Can I <laughs> Just kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm high uh, on cake, what can I say? But speaking of B-sides, here's a linky link to a previous episode because the B-side uh, was Mile End, which featured in the train spotting soundtrack. Back in T for train spotting in our last volume. Do you like something changed? It's alright. I wouldn't. I'm surprised to hear people want it at their wedding. It's very sweet. You need yeah, to sit with it for a while. It's, it's a lovely meh. song. gorgeous it's gorgeous people walk down the aisle to it if only i thought of it really? i walked down the aisle to it no no i didn't walk down the aisle to it but one of our one of our wedding songs was angry anderson's um son. <laughs> yeah i know yeah. you played it <laughs> and cra- well, crazy for you was the first dance madonna obviously how did you ever get your husband to agree to that did he put up a fire song? song no Really? State of Love and Trust in number three. That's our song. Right. Sorted Freeze and Whiz. <clears throat> so double A side with Miss Shapes, as I mentioned before, came out September 95 and number two in the UK. Number six in Ireland. Um, and they played it at Glastonbury at that 1995 headline gig. And Jarvis opened it by explaining what it was about if it's not obvious from the title. <laughs> I do like this one. Um, but he said that Sorted Reason Wiz is a phrase a girl that I met in Sheffield once told me and she went to see the Stone Roses at Spike Island. So fitting, because that's who they were standing in for. Uh, and I said, what do you remember about it? And she said, well, 
there were all these blokes walking around saying, is everybody sorted for Reason Whiz? And that's all she remembered about it, and I thought it was a good phrase. And yeah. it seemed totally appropriate. Different parts of the world, but also different parts of England called drugs, or did call drugs different things back in the 90s. So Whiz was definitely... Fearers, salmon. I never had that. I never heard that. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I didn't ever hear that. But Whiz was definitely used. What, and what people didn't say weed, they said puff. Puff. Puff the magic dragon. That. And it's not, not as if we were doing handfuls of, of ease, but it they was. were called ease, eventually. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, ease are good. Ease I think good. America, it, Americans it? call it X, which we, we never do. Oh, no. Um, Cake. <laughs> they used to call cocaine. Charlie? Yes, yes, you're right, yeah, Charlie. Uh, but yeah, so it was very controversial in the UK. Do you remember? Back in the day? Yeah. So there was a huge tab. Well, there was campaign. a big old drug obsession anyway, wasn't there? Because of raves and stuff. Yeah, but I didn't realise it was all kicked off by um, by Kate Thornton, which I completely forgot about. So she was writing for the Daily Mirror, um, and they came out before before it was even released. The Daily Mirror came out with a front page story, and it said, "Ban this sick stunt." Um, <clears throat> Kate Thornton was saying that it was pro-drugs and, and was calling for it to be banned. Um, because apparently the, the pre-release um, inlay of the single uh, showed uh, buyers how to make an origami wrap. And um, so I remember that in the artwork. Um, what was it in the top of the Pops magazine? Hey kids, make your own drug Yeah, wrap. blue pizza and here's what I made earlier. Um, but yeah, so the article saying that it was offering teenage fans a DIY guide on hiding illegal drugs. Um, and then in in, uh, in an interview in, in the NME, the same day that came out, Kate Thornton said, we wanted to see the sleeve pulled and we thought it was a crusade we would take up single-handedly. I think the sleeve is something that will concern our readers, although it may not concern yours. <laughs> so pitting, pitting Daily Mirror readers Ouch. against the NME readers. Um, so anyway, Pulp agreed to change the artwork. Um, you can make as many wraps as you want if you haven't got any drugs to put in. I mean, what's the issue here? Well, yeah, it's I mean, fucking it's origami. Cootie catcher. <laughs> we have to stop you using that. and it's a cootie catcher. <laughs> um, but you please, they... please, please listen to our uh, <laughs> Alice in Chains episode if you don't know what that is, because I know it sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? Um, what's next? Banning paper cranes. <laughs> <laughs> They could be used as weapons in the classrooms. <laughs> you could have someone's eye out with that. Um, but yeah, so they, they agreed to change the artwork, um, but they said that Thornton had misinterpreted the meaning of the art, so the artwork, <laughs> uh, and the lyrics. And they said that it's not a pro-drugs song. Nowhere on the sleeve does it say that you're supposed to put drugs in here, but I understand the confusion. I wouldn't want anything we do to encourage people to take drugs because they aren't a solution or an answer to anything. Um, Did Kate Thornton feel like a bit of a knobber? Well, no. So they, they continued the campaign um, <laughs> and they published a reader's poll. Um, uh, and, you know, the readers obviously um, responded that, yes, the song should be banned. So they end up they did end up having to replace the original sleeve with a plain white sleeve. Um, you know, once the initial pressings and sold out. Uh, but, yeah, they did have to do that. But, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's it's it's, it's not... It's it's not for it's not for or anti really, but it was kind of highlighting the sort of hollow, just is. artificial nature of it. But it's you know it 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 talks about you know the come down and how 
Well, actually, Jarvis sums it up. He says, he says he didn't think there's anything big and clever about taking drugs. The whole thing it's trying to say is that no matter how great a time you have on drugs, you know that it's been artificially induced. You've introduced a chemical into your brain, and that's what makes it a hollow experience. And of course, there's that other other feeling, the idea that however great you're feeling, and you want to make it that much better. You're searching for that illusory thing. Did I pronounce that right? Illusory. <laughs> Stop it. Well, you're always trying to get back to that state, but you know you never will, and you start to see through it. Notice it's a bit frayed at the edges, and that's what the songs are, songs about. Drugs aren't a magical thing; just chemicals that leave you feeling hollow. And then he, you know, he talks about, um, um, yeah, you know, everyone's like, you know, happy and all loved up and everything, and then, you know, then it all wears off, and you realise that it's mainly because they're taking loads of drugs and um it's not mainly you know, this... it is because they've taken loads of drugs well yeah but they go from being like all right geezer you're my best mate and then as soon as you know you're trying to thumb a lift off these same people they'd be like no fuck off you know yeah very true i never really thought of it that way but it's completely true yeah so um can you then again i mean we all do that in the pub <laughs> with a couple of drinks in us yeah yeah true um yeah uh, and it was Chris Thomas, the producer that I mentioned, that convinced them to release it as a single because they never thought that it was going to get played because of the subject matter. But um, obviously it was, and it was massively successful. Um, it's a good tune too, I like it. It is. It's, yeah, and they had loads of... They had um, over 200,000 pre-release orders um, before it was released in, 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 in the September, which was you know the biggest that they'd ever had um, to, that, to that date. Wow. Uh, okay, what have we got next? Feeling Called Love, a really popular um, live song. Um, do you remember Maloko? Yeah. So it's actually on my list of things that we could potentially kind of cover. I don't know, it just popped into my brain. Ah, yeah, that would be good. Um, so there were loads of uh, B-sides um, on the Something Changed single. Um, uh, lots of remixes of, of this, and one of them was a, a Maloko remix. Is and her name Roisin? Hmm? Was her name Roisin? Roisin, I don't know. A Maloko. Or am I... I don't know. You think of Koshin? She might She might have been Roisin. I don't know. I think it was Roisin. I saw her on Oxford Street once. And she, she just gave me a look of that, like, for God's sake, please don't say anything to me. <laughs> You know when you up. kind of double look and you go, hey, you're that Roisin, you know, and she looked at me like, terrified. I don't know what happened to like, them. Don't worry, though. I wasn't going to talk to her or anything. I was just thinking. But, I mean, Jarvis was a big fan. He said, um, he said, I predict great things for them this year. And they were massive for about a year. And then I don't know what happened. Roisin Murphy. But I have yet to find if she is a uh, Maloka. Oh, yeah. Oh, very good. Her and Mark Bryden. Trip hop duo Maloka. She's coming out of a bar. Oh, it was Regent Street actually, just just above the, uh, the roundabout. She's coming out of the bar in the afternoon, so I think maybe she was just a bit pissed. I don't know if I recognise her. <laughs> she looks really scared. <laughs> but she's quite noticeable. What does she look like? She's really kind of dyed white blondish hair, quite tall and slim, and she's wearing like an all leather outfit kind of thing. I mean, she was standing out. I was there, like I think I was coming out of H and M across the road. So I was like, hey. So, um, yeah, it's Whispery Jarvis again. Do you ever talk to famous people if you see them in the street? Have you ever, like, approached someone that you um, recognise? 
Mm, okay, aren't you? Da, da, da. No, I feel like a dick. Have you? No. I'm trying to think. Probably rather die than do something like that. I'm sure I have to someone. I I I I asked Ed and for an autograph once. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Um, I think he's the most famous person. But that I was met. probably like while he was you know near a racing track, which would be logical that someone would ask him, right? I mean, he wasn't like a yeah. Tesco. I'm trying to think. You see a lot of people in Brighton, but generally I just go. Yeah, kids. It's, oh, Norman Cook. Famous DJ. Actually, I have, yeah, I have asked for pictures with him. Oh, that, that reminds me though. We used to get the bus in every day to go to college and it would drop us off at Brighton Station. And we used to see the guy who was from the Fast Show. Oh, which that was one? in that advert. I think it was a bank advert and he said, We want to be together. Together. That guy. And I used to know his name, but it's completely escaped me right now. Paul White, is it Paul Whitehouse? No, no, no. He's the guy, I think he's from Birmingham. But he lived in Brighton. And he used to, and honestly, this poor man, I used to see him around Brighton all the time. And you'd see him and some fucking smart ass would shout out, we want to be together, every time I saw him. And he looked so annoyed. Like one time he was sitting reading the paper and some other absolute idiot walked past him, we want to be together. And he just said, fuck off. I used to live five doors down from Alistair McGowan, but never saw him. That's a good story. Was well, Chris Eubank? See him around town a lot, but I've never spoken to him. Oh God, Chris Eubank! His truck and well, and his son and his ridiculous. Now we see his son. What is like, up with their car. desperate need for attention? Like it's quite intense, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Nick Cave, seen him at Bryant Station a few times, but way too scared to ever say anything to Nick Cave. But I bet he's really nice. But. Yeah, no. Oh, I know who I used to. I used to get the, the train up from Brighton to London um, every Tuesday morning. Sorry if I'm busting him. Uh, I used to see Superhands from Peep Show. Oh! He got that train every Tuesday morning. And he did, he did, he had that squirrely look of, don't talk to me. There's some good Superhands postman artwork around Brighton, isn't there? Oh, I, I mean, he's the kind of guy, and someone would just walk past, like, as if they were just a normal person, and then they shout something Superhands at him. And you'd be like, yeah, all right, all right. It must be really annoying. It Although, must be. It must be constant. But speaking of, of, of famous people and bringing it back to Pulp, um, I've never met uh, Pulp, but I do have um, a copy of my uh, old fanzine that I used to write with my best friend Anna. And um, we used to send uh, questionnaires to fans uh, in the hope that they would return them. Really lame questions. Uh, but we did send one to Pulp, and uh, Candida sent it back to us with uh, with the answers filled in very nicely. So I shall post a picture of that. That's brilliant. What, what a good lot to reply to. I, like, I forgot to mention it. Fancy. Yeah, but I forgot to mention it for the for the Radio Heaven episode as well. Johnny Greenwood, who was the one that I really fancied, um, also <laughs> filled one out for us. So you I'm didn't all, mention uh, that in the Radio Heaven. No, episode. I didn't because <gasps> I've forgotten about it. I was just seeing to find the bulk one today that I found the uh, the Radiohead one. So I will I will post that up along with uh, more of my shit artwork from uh, from back in the day. Can I ask for a your question? Entertainment. Do did you find Jarvis Cocker attractive? Tell the truth. Um, no. Uh, physically, no. No. There, there is obviously something very attractive at, you know, Jarvis. I love his brain. I love his mind. Um, 
but he's very he's too tall, which you know, be a ridiculous couple. Oh, Bill's does, back. It's a very sexy twerk he does. Um, oh dear. Yeah, no. Uh, underwear. Speaking of sexy Jarvis. Okay, I don't have anything to say about underwear. Um, so I will uh, let you listen a little bit uh, while I find my notes about the artwork for the album. Okay. <clears throat> so again, I couldn't bring my CD to show you, but the sleeve. Do you remember the artwork for Different Class? It's like a wedding photo. Yes. So, um,. The initial copies of the CD, uh, so I had one of these, and the vinyl album had six double-sided inserts with different, you know, options for the cover art. So you could choose your own front cover, and there were um, there were cardboard cutouts of each member of the band, um, and uh, the groom from that wedding party was a guy called Dom O'Connor. Um, and he told the story of how when they when, when he got married, um, they were putting the wedding together, you know, the, the couple were putting the wedding together themselves on a bit of a budget, so they were pulling a lot of favours from people that they knew. And his younger brother Ben went to art college in Edinburgh and was friends with this guy who became a photographer and he'd done a lot of work with lots of the Britpop bands, like Blur and Elastica, and obviously Pop. So they asked him, uh, a little bit before whether he would be up for doing some photos for them and he couldn't do it because he was busy working on some pulp stuff but then he phoned them about a week before and said that pulp were thinking about using some photos with real people in them um, including a wedding photo and that if they would do some joke shots and he'd bring some life-size cutouts of the band he'd do some proper wedding shots for them um, and that's what happened so they turned up at the wedding with the life-size cutouts took photos and the bride and groom didn't actually realize um, until a family member saw a poster of different class with their wedding photo on it that it was being used for the uh, for the album. Oh wow, that's odd. Uh, yeah, I think they tell them. Yeah, well, they never they didn't get paid for it or anything. So I guess that was the agreement with the photographer. Um, and at the time, you know, the, the record companies didn't pay for use of the pictures. But then when Pulp reformed in 2011, they were on rough trade by that point. Um, and uh, the label did pay for them to go and see Pulp play live and gave them a signed copy and stuff. So, um, yeah, with a little note saying, thank you very much, Dom and Sharon, for letting us crash your wedding. So it all worked out quite nice. Okay, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. This is uh, Monday morning, which, have I got anything to say about it? No, it's a moody one. Um, they, I think they called this Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday night or something when I went to see them at... Um, I think it was Wembley Arena in 96. In fact, it was a few days after the bum wiggle, which we Ooh. ought to just mention. So obviously... Yeah, I'm not going to let you end this pod until you do. Probably like the most, I don't know, I would say the most... I was so happy because watching that, I was feeling fucking sick. It was making me so angry and it was just the perfect thing at the perfect moment and I think the entire world was like, oh, finally someone is ex exposing this kind of slightly sort of, you know, monstrous egomaniac. Well, that's obviously exactly how Jarvis felt. And um, apparently he was sitting there uh, near the front row um, and, yeah, just getting increasingly annoyed about the whole Jesus thing, you know, the Jesus oh, pose. I remember. I, I so rewatched well. it yesterday and I've forgotten just how awful that... What was the song that he did? I can't remember it was now. that. Uh, uh, with all the children. And, 
Oh, all the film. children come on oh. and like these, you know, the last thing he needs rags. to be fucking performing well, with. Like, uh, you completely turned it quite, <clears throat> and um, it, it's just preposterous. And apparently, he was sitting there going like, "This is awful." Like, you know, someone needs to do something about it. I, I'm, I'm here. I could just go on and do something. That's I don't what know you want to do. But like, no yeah. one would actually do it. That's the thing. So, Candida apparently said to him, "Yeah, but you're not going to do anything about it." And so he's like, right. So he went on and he still, he says, he still didn't really know what he was going to do when he was on stage. And you can Never see it when you, when you watch it, you can see that he has no idea what he's, he's doing like, at the time. He goes up to the front, he pulls a jacket, he does a little wibble, and then he wafts, like, I'd forgotten the wafting bit. Because it's like, That's you know, the only the, bit. It's so good. And then he gets like chased by one of the dancers and then he kind of comes back and he lifts his shirt up a little bit as well. And it's like, you can just see that he's going like, oh fuck, I'm here now. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to have some fun with it. This is brilliant. But um, then he got, um, he got arrested. So he was held in his dressing room, questioned for like two hours by the police. Um, and apparently outside, uh, Neil Morrissey and Martin Clunes were like you know still leading a campaign for him outside <laughs> but then bob mortimer um offered to you know like give him like some legal help because he was he was he's a solicitor he worked um he worked <laughs> in peckham council's legal department apparently uh, but apparently, well, I don't know, allegedly, he got a bit freaked out when Michael Jackson's, like, you know, three really powerful Hollywood lawyers were, like, you know, <laughs> trying to find something to pin on him. But... What, jumping on a stage? Yeah, that is an illegal Well, activity. yeah, exactly. But it was questioned until, like, the early hours. And then I was watching an interview of him with um, Chris Evans that was taken, like, two days, you know, afterwards. It was on Don't Forget Your Toothbrush or... What was that other one? TJ Tiffa Fridays, I think it was. Um... You know, and he's obviously got a lot of support in the crowd. He's doing it like on video link. He's in Manchester, um, and you, you can—it's it's like he seems—he comes across as like maybe still being a little bit in shock because you know Chris Evans says talk us through it. What happened? Da da da. And then um, and, you know what happened afterwards. And he said, well, that's when it it got quite upsetting, and it wasn't a joke really because they tried to—they they said that um, that I had assaulted children. So, I mean, the irony of that as well. And <laughs> you can time. see clearly on the video, I think I, I also read that it was, I think it was David Bowie's um, crew, like, got the footage that, you know, kind of got him off the hook. Because, I mean, you can see he's nowhere near any of the children. He's, like, had nothing to do with any of them. God, and lawyers you can see that he's, you know, he's quite, he's upset and pissed off, you know. Yeah. But it turned into that and I mean oh god you know in the hind you know with everything that we know now about that man but anyway yeah I mean what a legend the guy was a hero beforehand but bloody hell with that it's just yeah yeah I literally didn't know anyone that was like oh that's so disrespectful to Michael Jackson yeah <laughs> it was the funniest thing I'd seen in a really long time so, and in the Chris Evans thing, so I, I can't remember when the Brits were, but they must have been like late February maybe, because he's that uh, Chris Evans is saying what you know what happens next. Have you been charged? Have they what, found what anything to charge? Uh, it was ninety. Oh, gosh, ninety six. I think. I think so. Um, but he, so he says I've got until March. The, they've got till March the eleventh to find something to charge me with. Otherwise, I'm off the hook. And I saw <gasps> March them, the eleventh. Oh, it is today! Oh my god, it was... Yeah, but they didn't find any charging wind. But when I saw them, it was March the 1st. So it was in between the Brits having just happened and him waiting to find out if he was going to be charged. Well, that's awful. Uh, but 
It was a, it was a great show. Didn't, you know, the show must have been too upset. Yeah, the show went on. Okay, so this is the final song. This is Um What have I got for you on this? Not a lot. Uh, just another fan fave. And again, it's got references to uh, it's got the E reference linking back to sort of Freeze and Wiz. Um, uh, Vox magazine, which I used to love, um, got a bit of a preview um, of this because they had they did an interview during the recording sessions and they described it about as being about the mixed delights of heading out into the dawn chorus in that ungodly hour before the milkman whistles his merry tune nursing the after effects of a good night out on the E or whatever in search of having a reviving cappuccino. Which I'm sure is very relatable on some, if not all levels. Don't look at me. <laughs> I never on, drank cappuccino on, on in the, the 90s. Alcohol, not, not on the E, me anyway. Um, and that is a different class. Different class. Not A, different class, A. Fair? A. Thank you. Star. <laughs> Lots of a different class. Lots of info that I did not know. And Pulp, you know, well, Jarvis anyway, um, has managed to retain his hero status, which sometimes we start out a pod with one view. <laughs> By the end, we're looking at them quite differently. <laughs> yeah, you, ca- you can't help but just love the man and the band they're just they're brilliant and I don't think this album was dated I mean apart from the let's all meet up in the year 2000 it's I just it's brilliant yeah very, very really, I think what it is it. about Jarvis as well is there's no malice in him you know and he's yeah. not too full of himself and he never got to the point where you know he was claiming he was Jesus and you know well ironically because of everything else but you know what I mean not one of those guys not a Gallagher yeah which yeah, was they're in a different class. Indeed, yes. Our working class heroes in the UK. <laughs> Which we probably can't claim because it's bloody softy southerners, isn't that what they call us? Yeah. Have to wear a coat yeah. in winter. Ugh. Losers. <laughs> Inside my house. <laughs> probably and me as well, yeah. Okay, so do you want to tell people where they can find us? Uh, I would love to. Uh, you can find us on... In the squid carpaccio <laughs> aisle of Middle. Oh, it's little. Okay. Um, uh, Twitter, um, we are at SomaGXP. Um, and we are also on Instagram, Society Osmeogenics Podcast. We can be contacted at our email address, which is Society Osmeogenics Podcast at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a voice message on Anchor FM, which is our, our home and uh, yeah, still waiting for that message in a bottle as well. And that'll do for this week. So thanks very much for listening. Good night. Bye. <laughs>